0: Welcome to Work of Fiction, the podcast that analyzes the fictional organizations you see in movies and TV. Today's episode, The Circle. Paula Sizek, and today I'm joined by some folks from our New York team, Kristen Demophiles and Daria Lombroso. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves?
1: Hi, Paula. Thanks for having us. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Kristen Demophiles. I'm an org designer on the New York team, uh, so I work with clients to figure out how they want to implement change.
2: Hi, I'm Daria Lombroso. I'm also an org designer with the New York team. I'm one of the newest team members to Nobel and excited to be talking about the Circle today.
0: All right. We are glad to have both of you in the studio. And together, we make up some of the members of Nobel, which is an organizational design firm that transforms company cultures. Every month, we like to take a little bit of a break from helping real organizations change to discuss fictional leaders and organizations, what works, what doesn't. And then most importantly, we talk about the simple tools that they and your listeners can implement to make the workplace better.
1: This episode, we're talking about The Circle, in which an Amazon-slash-Google-Facebook hybrid wants everyone to be connected all the time. When Anjanou May joins the organization, she is quickly swept up in its ethos, ultimately agreeing to broadcast her entire life 24-7, at least until a terrible accident changes everything. Spoiler alert from here on out.
0: So. I wanted to discuss The Circle not because it's a good movie, it's it's not, but because it is about surveillance and privacy and transparency in the workplace, which is becoming a topic that we see more and more importantly discussed in the news these days. But first I wanted to start by, by talking a little bit about May and her role in customer service. A lot of times when we see movies that are focusing on these startups or these unicorns, there's a lot of focus on the founders and engineers. But the circle puts emphasis on the customer.
2: If we don't give customers a human and humane experience, we have no customers. It's pretty elemental.
0: Agree? Disagree? Mostly
2: agree. Mostly? Mostly agree. Um, I think that customer centricity is becoming more and more important for businesses, especially as things become more personalized and we know more about the consumers that we're working with. But To the first part, I know this was kind of a setup to the question, but I was thinking a lot about why this film actually focused on someone in customer service and specifically why that person was a female. Um, And we'll probably get to it later, but I think most of the time when we look at stories about tech companies with founders or engineers, they're usually male. And the fact that This is a female main character becomes, I think, pretty central to the story. Um, And so I've I've been wondering how big of a role that actually played in the decision to focus in in that aspect of a business.
0: Oh, no, I I think that's a really good point. You're right. Like we actually recently did Silicon Valley, and that is a very male environment, right? Almost all the main characters are male. So it is a really interesting contrast between the the male and female experience, I guess you would say of the of the tech company yep. yeah
1: yeah just to chime in i i definitely um, lean more on the agree side rather than disagree i think that's where the market is taking a lot of companies right now where you have to be plugged into what the customer wants when they want it the message that they want um and just being able to provide that end-to-end service that people are expecting because things move so so quickly right now
0: we talk a lot when we're working with organizations about customer centricity. In fact, we've even said if you don't know who your customer is, if you don't know who you're serving, why do you even have a team, right? What are some of the tools that we use to really understand what is going on in the world of the consumer and make sure teams are best serving their needs?
1: Absolutely. I think uh, we have a customer sensing exercise that we take clients through to really understand, first and foremost, what's happening out in the environment and what's happening in the market so that we can make sure that everyone's aligned on what the market needs. And then we can also prioritize with our clients in terms of, okay, what are the strategies? What are the activities we need to start taking action on? Or if we're already in the middle of taking action, how can we improve those things or modify them in order to better serve that, that customer or consumer? One of the things that I'll also add to that is um, depending on what part of an organization we're working with it may be a consumer, like an end user, or it may be a customer within the organization if they're more in a service role. Uh, So if you're in data analytics, consumer insights, your customer may actually be a marketing team or um, some other function within the organization. And so being really clued in on that is really important uh, for any team to understand how do I work with this partner, stakeholder, and consumer? How do I make sure that they're getting what they need um, in the ways that they need it.
0: Yeah, great point. Now, on May's first day on the job, she's introduced actually to a customer feedback system, right? So one of the ways you can get to know more about what your customer needs is just asking them, right? Um, so as soon as May completes a task for a customer, she sends them a survey and they let her know how she's doing. The goal, of course, is to get as close to like 100% as possible and she's a little bit worried when she's, you know, only scoring 87% her first week. you got an 87 average. It's like a solid B. How long until I'm fired? How do you design a good feedback system? Because on the one hand, you, you want people to be giving you accurate feedback, right? But on the other hand, you don't necessarily want people losing their mind, losing sleep over an 87%. Or maybe you do. I think the circle might. <laughs> that might be of, of questionable health. Uh, But, yeah, what did you guys think about how do I create a great feedback system?
2: I mean, I think consistent feedback and direct in the moment feedback is really important. I think when it's just quantitative feedback, when it's just a number, it gets into really tricky territory because you're losing a lot of the nuance of the experience and the actual parts of the feedback that can become actionable and translate into new behaviors. Specifically thinking about, you know, that goal of getting to a consistent 100 and what happens when you start to drop below that? What kind of culture of perfection is being perpetuated within an organization? I think we see it pretty consistently in the circle where that culture of perfection is so prevalent that there are people who are making themselves ill because of it. Um, and that's something that, you know, we can see on the client side, too, not to that extent, of course, but definitely where the expectation is so high that it cultivates the sort of fear of failure within an organization where people are no longer willing to take risks because they're worried about the, the number or the way that they're perceived or their performance um, being jeopardized as a result.
0: Yeah, we definitely see that with the character of Annie, who pretty much works herself Mm -hmm. to death. And we'll actually Mm -hmm. get into that a little bit later, talking about work-life balance. But I do think that's an important thing to point out is, are are you actually making your own company sick because you're so focused on on perfection?
1: And I think one piece just to add to that is, how do you make a feedback loop iterative as well? So if, if May, for example, were brought into the conversation, we're trying to measure this and we really want to make sure that our customers are being served, what's your input here? And how can the employee actually co-create maybe a more nuanced way or an improved way to, to gather that feedback?
0: That's a really good point. We don't actually see May being asked for her opinion of mm-hmm. of how the system is working, and she's asked for a lot of other things. Again, we're gonna get all, all into this later. <laughs> um, she's she's expected to be engaged and on on the circle and par- participating actively all the time. But yeah, she's not given a whole lot of feedback into what her role should look like and how she should be interacting with the customers. The constant feedback that we see with the customers isn't the only type of of surveillance or essentially feedback that's going on within the company right about 30 minutes into the movie the entire campus is being surveilled by these little tiny cameras called sea change that broadcast and analyze employee behavior so how does how does surveillance impact people in real life do you guys have any examples and what the results have been
1: This is a tough one for me um, because I have such strong feelings um, around it. I almost don't know where to begin. I think the way that surveillance is messaged, depending on if I think about how Tom Hanks and his character, like talk about all the benefits of it without really seeing another side. um, That is worrisome to me. And, and because I think the implications can be pretty disturbing. Um, But this con, this feeling or just, um, Maybe unspoken knowledge that you're always being watched. I think it can prevent organic relationships from developing.
0: There's just a, a well, weird. But barrier. that's why you have things like Facebook, right? I mean, or or the circle in this case. It's so that you can just go online and have those relationships. Those are the real relationships. That <laughs> oh my <matter>.
1: god, Bala. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We no longer have to have personal interaction whatsoever.
0: No, it's all.
1: But it's we all... but we want to bring a human experience
0: to the customer all the time. Yes. That's right. All right. Anything you want to chime in with?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think when I think about surveillance and privacy, I think a lot about trust. Right. And the the sort of expectation there is that if you're sharing more of your secrets with the world or you're sharing what is normally not something you would share, then you're, by virtue of that, building trust within this community. But sharing is caring.
0: (laughs) Is it? I mean, according to (laughs) According (laughs) to to the circle, sharing
2: is caring. Sharing is caring! Sharing is caring.
0: I thought you might say that.
2: But I think, I don't, I don't, personally don't think that's the basis of trust at all. I think it begins to come from a place of fear. From a fear of, of what happens if you're, you're not sharing. If you're not participating. If you're not part of this ecosystem that's being built around you and you're going to be kind of left behind as things start moving forward um i just think it can it can very quickly evolve into a dangerous place which we also see in the circle i'm sure we'll talk about more
1: yeah and if you're not able to identify or even talk about the potential downfall of that then how are you going to set up any sort of like breaks in the system to counterbalance that
0: i want to get to this point about trust, right? And building relationships. So assuming that sharing is not necessarily caring, new concept. Assuming that putting your entire life out there to see for everybody to see is not necessarily how you build a relationship. In the office, how do we encourage trust and relationships? Because I've actually worked with leaders who've gone up to me, they've been working for many years, have a lot of experience and are leading large teams and they say, How do you get people to trust you? Which is always a little concerning that they're at that point in (laughs) in their career and haven't gotten to that point. But how do you get people to trust you if it's not broadcasting everything and knowing everything all the time?
2: So I can take this one because it, it recently came up in a client workshop that I facilitated with another one of our, our or another couple of our co-workers, Jane and Lucy. Um, and we were referencing the the um, trust triangle that Francis Frey out of. Harvard, who's worked with a number of businesses, including Uber, around reestablishing trust when trust has been lost. Um, and the way that she defines it that really resonated with us, is that you have trust when you have um, authenticity, empathy, and logic. And when one of those three sides of the triangle starts to wobble, or you start to lose authenticity, empathy, or logic as a leader or as a team member... You start to lose trust or it's very difficult to build trust to begin with. Um, And I think when we're working with leaders within organizations, the emphasis is usually on one of those, mostly logic, I would say, and not necessarily on the authenticity or the empathy piece, depending on who they are, of course. Um, But that's something I've been thinking about a lot is how do we kind of train people to be more empathic in a workplace, to be more fully themselves, especially if the culture doesn't. Reward that by nature.
0: Where do you think the circle scores? Oh, Where God. do you think the circle lies on the triangle? I don't know if it's on the triangle. <laughs> no, does it? Is does it have high authenticity? Is it high on logic? It seems low in empathy, but maybe I'm interpreting mm-hmm. that wrong.
1: I think even on the authenticity spectrum, I think there is an appearance of being authentic, but not actually truly um, authentic. Uh, so. It it really depends on how you define that and what that really means. But yeah, I, I think it scores what I think people who subscribe to the mindset and culture of the circle, the one that is most prevalent, they'd probably say, oh, like we are bought in. We, we feel like we have high scores on empathy and authenticity and logic because we are built entirely around data, right? Um, but there is a, a different element to it, and I can't put my my finger on it now what that would be, but there's, there's sort of like another, there's a vanity score of that and then something that's more significant. Openness is something we advocate here at The Circle. We live it. We demonstrate our commitment to openness every day. Our government, not so much.
0: So we have constant feedback going on all the time. We have visual surveillance, but it's not just that. May is also expected to set up her social profiles and attend non-mandatory weekend events. No,
1: no, no, there wasn't mandatory work on the weekend. This isn't like a clock in clock out type place, thank God. But you know, there were thousands of people here participating in a hundred different activities.
0: So many. It's a really great scene. I think it actually might be one of the funniest scenes in the movie where they're talking about her setting up these these profiles.
1: That's so interesting you put it that way. We actually see your profile and the activity on it as integral to your participation here. This is how your coworkers, even
2: the ones on the other side of campus, know who you are. Communication certainly isn't extracurricular, right?
0: Right. So... I feel like this is appropriate because we're on our, our company offsite, actually, and we've had a couple of instances of mandatory fun that people have had the option to opt into, but maybe not really. Uh, how much should any team or organization expect people to participate in these extracurriculars, right? In these things that aren't necessarily in your job description, but are nice if you would participate. Uh, and how do, you, how do you manage those expectations as an employee?
1: I think it's really important to be inclusive in terms of what are the activities, um, types of activities. Is it in the circles case, right? A lot of partying, it seems, or something very extroverted. There's concerts. Yes, that's
0: true. But there's also 12 groups for children of MS patients.
1: Oh, fair point. Fair point. Yeah. I mean, it it really depends. I think for for something that is company-wide... it can be tough to to hit all all the boxes around, is this something you expect? Is it not? And, and from an employee perspective, I also understand that, you know, if I'm in a group of 50 people or if I'm in a group of five people, like my presence is just a larger percentage and therefore can change the dynamic. Um, so I think there's a self-awareness piece on an employee, but also an understanding that people have lives outside of work, if people need to go home or call someone or take care of someone, um, I, I, I get uncomfortable when that's there's like an unspoken like knock on someone for not participating. But it is challenging to figure out how to communicate that in a way that does seem and feel authentic and is also um, the, the interactions and behaviors that come after making a decision to not participate, for example, really support that.
0: Of course, at the circle, they also have dorms, so you never really have to leave the campus. You can just live there, work there it it's all, everything in one it's a it's a company town scary yeah i I mean, I agree
2: with everything that Kristen just shared, and I think it's i think the whole mandatory fun piece is ultimately a very exclusive. Practice right. If you have people who are parents who are caring for an aging parent of their own, um, who just have other obligations outside of their job, um,
0: ooh, sounds like somebody's not really committed.
2: Or they just have children who have biological needs they need to tend to. Um, And you know, I think that the circle there's no talk at all about really people who are who are parents or who have any sort of obligations outside of work except may who herself is dealing with a sick father um and in part that's what brings her even like deeper and deeper into the fold of the company because she has this dependence on what they're able to provide her with
0: so that actually is a great segue to my next question which is that she also may also gets health monitoring right it's a fitbit but it's also some sort of an internal monitor that she swallows, and they don't necessarily. But they don't
1: tell her. They don't tell. Mm-hmm. I know it's already it's already down. Well,
0: yeah, but it's it's for her own good, so it's totally fine, guys. Um, so she gets she gets that, and in the real world, we have actually seen a couple of companies engaging in what's called like lifestyle discrimination, right, where you try to charge unhealthy, i.e., uh, overweight employees or employees who smoke more for health insurance. Where do you draw the line, right? Do companies have that right to say, Hey, this if you're working for us, this is what you should be doing in your off hours. Make sure that you're keeping our costs down. No.
2: Oh. <laughs> That's my answer. Oh, good. Okay. Well, we've solved that.
0: <laughs> next the case. next Go question. On.
2: No, I mean, I think of course there are always going to be financial concerns that a company has when it comes to the benefits that they're providing for their employees. And There's an economies of scale here where you are in your size of the circle. It's not as difficult to question as when you're a 10 or 20 person organization. Right. And things like health benefits in a country like the U.S. are not a given for people who work within your organization. um, Unfortunately, we do have some team members in in Canada where that is a very different situation. Um, But I think it's a very unequitable practice to attempt to regulate someone's behavior or health because of the organization's financial status. That just doesn't seem like a fair or humane practice to me.
0: So continuing on this idea of health, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast, My friend's Annie is always traveling. She's never sleeping, right? She, she is not engaging in a lot of self-care. Is that a fair assessment? Very fair. Very. Um, I don't know.
2: I guess I almost died.
0: She actually has to eventually quit the circle like she she can't figure out a way to take care of herself and do her job and she returns to Scotland. So how do you encourage work-life balance if you are a leader, right? How do you make sure that your team is taking care of themselves and how do you take care of yourself as a leader?
1: I think there's part of this that relates back to what we talked about trust. Um, when we think about uh, the behaviors that you see, right, uh, if if there is a message around self-care, uh, a leader, I think, has the responsibility to follow through on behaviors because I think we've talked about this a lot, right, where behaviors actually beat attitudes, right? So if you want to change an attitude, you have to start with behaviors and then the attitude will follow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're able to follow through as a leader on this message, it it helps reinforce what that means and also provide specificity on what self-care means. Um, if someone, for example, said self-care was just like, I'm just going to go out to happy hour and that's that's my self-care, that may provide like a very limited window into what self-care looks like. Um, and, and so being able to model behaviors that show self-care can look like a bunch of different things. Uh, we carve out time. We support it. This is one way of doing it because I'm in this leadership position. This is what it looks like for me and my role and for my life and my lifestyle. Uh, but being able to point to other examples, I think, is really important to show that that actually means something and has weight.
2: Yeah, I I completely agree that so much of this is really modeling it at the leadership level. If leaders within an organization are not doing it, it's going to be really hard for folks at other levels within the org to practice self-care, to maintain any sort of work-life balance. And I think it's it's one of those things that when it's happening, it's usually not celebrated. It's just kind of happening under the current of the organization. Um, but when it's celebrated, it becomes more and more of a norm that's accepted. And something I, I just love that we did at Nobel over Christmas, we have the week off between Christmas and New Year's, um, and miraculously or not, no one was on Slack. And when we got back after New Year's, Lucy, our global CEO and and managing director, was so excited that no one slacked for that entire break. And it just was like this moment of celebrating the fact that we actually all took a true vacation and it kind of normalizes it within the culture.
1: Yeah. Providing rewards for that behavior that you're looking for when it comes to self-care or anything, really, um, I I think helps reinforce that type of behavior and, and making sure that everyone does it
0: i think that if lucy had been really committed she would have given us an extra week of vacation as a reward for not
1: <laughs> well being on slack you know
2: bud did just say that we're gonna try out a week off in the summer i put it on the
0: calendar oh, so i, I didn't mm-hmm. see that all right that is pretty awesome okay something, there you something, go safe to fail to, something to look forward to so we have constant visual surveillance we've got You know, we've got a a social circle that you have to be in all the time where you're sharing and posting your activities with all of your friends. And of course, all of your friends are the people that you work with and you live with them because you have dorms on the campus itself. Overall, I think it's fair to say that the culture at the circle leans a little bit more towards the cult side of the occasion. Sorry. Everyone that works at the circle is so excited to be here. They just want to tell everyone about it all the time. And it's, you know. Right. So everybody is really rapturous when there's a dream Friday, all hands. Everybody's always excited to be there. So on the one hand, this is a really or, or is this, I guess, is this a really successful culture, right? It seems like everybody is bought in. Is this something that other companies should be looking to emulate where their employees are so highly engaged? How do you know, on the other hand, if you're going too far over the line as a company?
2: Well, I think the tricky thing and maybe the, the catch-22 with the circle is that if you're not engaged, you begin to be penalized in a way. Whether that's just through social interactions that happen of your peers saying, hey, why weren't you there Saturday night? Or why aren't you part of one of those 12 groups of of folks who have parents with MS? Um, and there's that kind of social pressure to be engaged and buying into the Kool-Aid. Um, and I think that can be dangerous thing. But on the flip side, I think that cultivating a strong sense of community and shared identity within organizations is really important. But there's a pretty fine line between creating a strong and meaningful community and creating an environment that resembles a cult. And it's one that I don't think companies should cross.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's really easy, especially if you have, especially in these startups, you have that, that founder story, right, who is really it's a really compelling story. They're a leader. They're, they're creating something new within the organization. Uh, again, I'm not saying that Apple is a cult, but you do hear people joke about the cult of Apple, right? So I think it is really easy if you have a, a strong leader and a strong culture to start to cross over that line.
1: Just to add to that, I think there's, you know, there's always that phrase or saying what gets you here will not get you there. And so I think one of those preventative breaks is to make sure, like, yes, this is working and yes, this is keeping people engaged. But are we are we checking that? Are we are we being honest with ourselves to make sure that that's not just happening within a certain echo chamber of people who are super bought in Um, and then being able to bring in new perspectives? Because I think one of one of. The pieces here is when you have what's the difference between a shared identity and a shared value system, but then also allows, I guess, uh, within a shared value system, is there also a shared value around diversity of experience and thought? Um, And so, if that's where it gets a little bit tricky between um, being able to bring in other perspectives uh, that may be able to further the company.
0: One of the key themes that we hear. At the circle is that openness or transparency are required for accountability. So, May, do you think
1: you behave better or worse when you are being watched?
0: Better. And that drives, I would say, the second half of the entire movie, right? Where May starts wearing a camera so that she can broadcast her life 24-7. It's a little bit Truman Show. Is, is that true? Do you have to be completely open and transparent to... Be accountable. How? What other ways can you increase accountability on your team?
2: I think you need to increase
0: visibility.
2: I don't know that that means you have to be entirely transparent.
0: So you're saying increase visibility, but not by wearing a tiny camera that broadcasts your life twenty four seven. Yeah. Okay.
2: I mean. There are simple enough ways as getting everyone onto some sort of project management tool, so that you know what other people are working on, and you can find ways to collaborate across teams. Right? That's not as personally as invasive as knowing what someone's doing on their computer all day, or having a camera stare at you while you're doing your work, or follow you home, or whatever it is that um, that was happening in the circle. And I think that kind of increased visibility when it comes to the work is important. It increases that collaboration, increases your ability to have smooth communication across teams. Um, But when it's not something directly touching the work, it's a trickier territory that I feel like can become really quickly um, a space that is much too personal to delve into.
0: I think it's really interesting you bring up this idea of visibility because I think in some ways that's what micromanagement comes down to, right? If you're a leader, I'm sure some leaders, if they could, would put little cameras on all of their teams so that they could see what they were working on at any given point in time. But that's not an effective way to be a leader, right? Part of being a leader is mm-hmm. getting the work done through and with other people and and not being the one to stand over somebody's shoulder and, and do it themselves. If you're dealing with, thankfully not the equivalent of the circle where somebody's watching you every second, but if you're dealing with like a micromanaging boss or if you feel that you have micromanaging tendencies, what is a good way to help counteract that?
1: I think in some conversations where I've been working with someone who has a micromanaging leaning type of of boss or manager. Very diplomatic. (laughs) It's important to, um, I think, help help the person that I'm coaching through, uh, understand where is that coming from, um, and to have a more open dialogue with their manager or boss around uh, where is that coming from, what what helps reassure confidence around the work that's being done. And, and really, honestly, it comes down to empathy. Uh, I think having empathy for one's manager to understand where that comes from can help a uh, solution build around how do I communicate differently or at what points in the process can I Show progress or loop in other stakeholders to make sure that um, they're getting the information that they need, but also that this person is setting the appropriate boundaries for their so that they can do their best work.
0: So sharing is caring, sharing
1: is caring! <laughs> to a point. Okay, to a point, there's a lot of nuance.
2: Yeah, I think when micromanaging happens, there's usually some other root cause for it, whether there's scar tissue from a past work relationship, where there wasn't trust, or the expectations haven't been clearly set, and therefore the person meant to complete the work can't actually do that, um, there's usually something underlying the reason why a leader isn't able to let their team move forward with work without having that degree of micromanaging.
1: Yeah, and I think being able to identify, is this something that is just a personal tendency? Is this a manifestation of a certain personal insecurity or is it something that's related to the work? And being able to ask really powerful questions to help get to um, a clearer answer around where is this really coming from uh, can be be really helpful in building that empathy.
0: Daria, I wanted to get back to your point that you brought up at the very beginning of the podcast, which is May's experience as a female. Mm Mm-hmm. What, so what in particular did you find most interesting about that?
2: Well, I think her character, um, and the way that her character is set up and the way that she interacts with the founders of the circle, um, she is a very, she's very easy to manipulate, um, and take advantage of. And the reason I brought that up at the beginning of the conversation in relation to other stories about the tech world where the main characters might skew more male um, is because I think it might be a harder case in the day and age that we live in to see a male character be manipulated to the extent that may is in this film. So you're saying women are easier to manipulate? No, I'm saying that societally there is a perception that women are easier to manipulate
0: especially young ones who don't necessarily work in tech per se, but customer service. Yep. And who are potentially experiencing
2: some imposter syndrome within the role that they're coming into. Right. Like she's not some, when she gets this job opportunity, it's like this bright, shiny new object. And she isn't so sure of herself in stepping into the role. She gets the job really because of her friend, Annie, who makes that connection for her. Um, and, Because of all the other metrics within the organization around performance and so on, there's just this expectation that you're going to do whatever is asked of you, especially when you're a guppy, as they call Mm. new people to the organization, being asked to do something by the founders who, if they're anything like founders of real life tech companies, are probably billionaires with that seems a whole fair. lot of power in the world beyond just the buildings on that campus.
0: And of course, the founders don't want to have Male anything. billionaires, I should add. Yes. Uh, like you had to re- refine that. Um,
1: <laughs> Sorry, but, uh, white male billionaires. Yes, there you go. There you go. Well, the other the other piece is that they continue to up the ante for May, right? They're like, oh, oh, you have responsibilities to your parents. Like I'm going to make sure, in order almost to get your loyalty, that they are well taken care of. So it makes it harder to uh, assert your own agency within the organization.
0: Oh, no, they're just trying to take care of their employees, you guys. And yet, and yet, for all of that, right? For for all that they want May to share her life, and for all of the new technology they put out there, they're not at all interested in sharing their lives, right? Like the end of the movie. Mm all of their emails, even their secret emails, have been hacked into and and made public. I invite them to set an example for the circle and the world. To go transparent. And they look mildly put out by it, which is a little bit of an under understatement. Uh, It's not how, or not even an understatement. They look mildly put out and they're just kind of miffed by the whole situation. I personally would be more upset, and I'm not a white male billionaire, but... Well, they had like four secret email accounts beyond just their normal account
2: that were also encrypted. So there's clearly something that they're trying to hide that they don't want to be public.
0: But it's never really clear what it is. Oh, no. They don't want it out there, whatever that is. This is maybe
2: why this movie is not one of the best films ever (laughs) (laughs) created.
0: What What? was it? What was it rated on Rotten Tomatoes?
2: 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) That's impressive. I think it's hard to score that low, to be honest.
0: I want to say that might be the lowest rated movie that we have ever reviewed on this podcast. To be fair,
2: the book by Dave Eggers that the Circle film is based on is a good book.
0: Well, we don't read here, so. Just
2: saying. It's not that the story is bad per se. The film and the filmmaking, not the best.
1: Yeah, the ending was really sort of I mean, perplexing in that I, I didn't think there was as much employee rage um, as there. I, I would have if if there was some sort of reveal from the founders around a lot of that and there is as much behind those secret emails as there, there was uh, as they alluded, then I, I think more people would be angry. And I just I didn't see that happening. It just sort of ended and everyone just went outside just left the auditorium
2: yeah and you have the expectation given the journey that may's been on and you know she loses a friend in this process her best friend at the circle has to quit in order to get healthy there's so much turbulence in her personal life her parents stopped talking to her all because of this role that she's taken on where she's broadcasting her life to the world um and through the kind of trauma of that experience, you expect her to come out the other end and have an opinion that sharing is not caring. Scary is scary. That is caring! That let's squash this idea of constant transparency. But at the end of the film, she's kayaking and a drone is hovering over her and she's smiling, like so thrilled that her life is still alive.
0: So final question for you guys. Usually I like to ask about if we're being brought in as consultants, what is it exactly that we would advise this company to do? I want to change it up a little bit for the circle. May has invited us to present at the next Dream Friday. What are we going to give our Dream Friday presentation on? It's
1: a good question.
0: Of course it is. That's why I ask it every time.
1: I don't know exactly how it would work, but I think one of the things that pops to mind right now is being able to reassert individual agency somehow in in some sort of uh, workshop or whatever it is that we're presenting um, is just making people feel that connection to their own power uh, a little bit more strongly than I think is they've been able to to have at the circle.
0: So maybe we would do a workshop on self-awareness and self-management, right? How are you feeling at any given point in time? What are how do you react to given situations? What do you feel physically, emotionally, right?
1: Yeah, I think it could definitely that could definitely all be included. And then in addition to that, sort of what we were talking about with micromanaging, how are you engaging your manager? Um, and really putting the employee at the forefront, giving them tools and resources to help propel their career and their professional development. And and giving them tools for that, I think, would be uh, really helpful so that they can work as a partner with management, uh, their team, across teams, with their peers, uh, to really think about how they can be part of the process of making a company, even if the company is the circle, better.
0: Doria, what about you? Yeah,
2: I think the the thing coming up for me is the need to establish true psychological safety within an organization like the circle where there's where they've created this culture of surveillance of constant sharing of information where the idea that you could raise your hand and say something contrarian or share an idea that maybe isn't perfectly formed, I imagine that doesn't happen often. But it's also like exciting.
0: Circle. It's really exciting to be so part exciting. of the circle. Oh, it everyone's, scares me. Everyone's excited all the time. Hmm.
2: Well, I'm not so sure if I would be excited if I were at a circle. <laughs> but I think I would spend a dream Friday really focused on on that. Like, what are the levers and the tools and tactics to actually bring psychological safety back into a space that is probably pretty fear-based at this point in the the org's
1: tenure
0: all right well thank you so much guys for flying all the way out from new york to join us and thank you our listeners for listening to work of fiction don't forget to subscribe for future updates and leave us a rating if you like what you heard find more episodes or get in touch with us at work of fiction.fm companies movies and tv